Welcome to the Revenue Blueprint. This is not another sales podcast on tips and tactics. Instead, we focus on unfiltered stories from founders and early stage sales leaders on what it takes to build a successful revenue team. If you get just a little bit of value from this, we ask that you pay it forward by liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. All right, let's get into the episode. to another episode of the Revenue Blueprint. We are without a guest today. It's just Seth and I, but we've got a few fun topics to talk about that we've been seeing in the early stage sales game. So one thing that you and I were talking about before, and this is more on the entrepreneurial note, is feeling guilty or not taking time off during holiday weekends because you know there's always more stuff to do. So you've been on your own now for longer than I have. So what's your mindset on taking time off or taking holidays off, things like that? Yeah, this is a tough one because I think our success or income fluctuates and whenever you're if you're providing for a family or even just for yourself you need to hit some income milestones the pressure is always there and if you're not hitting those goals to rest and step away is essential but then you feel like you're stealing time from the opportunity to make some money so I don't think it's just long weekends it's also like any time that you have to step away a vacation day or a holiday you can take vacation as an entrepreneur Jason I don't know. I think I learned probably in my early 30s when I would go on vacation that I should turn my phone off. And I instruct that to people that are going on vacations that they should turn their phones off because the amount of value you get checking email or checking in is far less than the value you get from truly resting for seven days. Right. You know, sometimes it's day seven, you're like, now I'm starting, or day five, you're starting to really relax. It's like, oh, wow, I had a lot to unwind. So I've been trying to take that forward as like, I'll still do some writing on the weekends or doing some admin stuff. But it's like, no, nah, you really need those blocks of time where, you know, if you have some time, where you're not thinking about work and you can truly step away and you're like, oh, my, that part of my brain rested. It's been and, eight hours since I thought about ways to derive income. <laughs> right. And I think, but I think that part is really key and has been a change in my mindset that your brain is a muscle and it fatigues throughout the course of every single day. Your brain is a muscle. <laughs> my brain particularly is a muscle. <laughs> But like any muscle, it needs rest in order to grow and to be able to do the exercise again. And so I now think of whether it's going to work out in the middle of the day or taking a day off here or there as something that is going to, in the short term, hurt productivity. But the long term, it helps because productivity is boosted once you wake up from that, which is the next day or after you're going to the gym or whatever. And so I think... Are you disciplined when you step away to be deliberate in not thinking about that stuff? Because Going to the gym and worrying that you're stepping away, right? This is what we were talking about before, is ruining the gym and you're not actually being productive. You're just guilting yourself, which is the worst. So I think I am not disciplined on like, no, I'm shutting my phone off. I'm not going to answer emails. I'm not going to think about work. I think if I'm going to think about work, I'm going to think about it no matter what. But there, but I don't need to be sitting in front of the computer, pouring through emails, looking for the next BD opportunity or doing one of the million other things to be productive that I could be doing. Just the act of being away from my desk and doing other activities, spending time with other people. As an entrepreneur, you're never going to be able to fully turn it off, right? You're always going to be thinking about it in some way, shape or form at some point. But I think that in just doing the physical exercise itself, like physically removing yourself from the desk and like not staying as glued to your phone as much, even if it's not binary, is totally fine. 
I think that's enough. I think the sitting in front of your computer and pretending you're working or feeling that's what you need to be doing and not being productive is the worst. Right. Right. We've all been there too. Right. I I learned it when I was the first sales rep at the company Revenate that I worked at for a long time. I was in New York in one of the first WeWork offices. It's funny. That's a different story. But and I remember sitting in front of my computer and just like probably going to Facebook or something while I was in my office. But there was no boss. CEO and founders were in San Francisco. I was responsible for revenue production. And if I found myself, what I realized was I didn't have to pretend I was working to anybody. I needed to be working or not working, but pretending to be working was bad for everybody. So I remember there would be times where it'd be like four in the afternoon on Tuesday and I'd be like, wait, I'm starting to like go on the internet and not actually, I have no energy to work anymore. So I'm sitting in front of my computer on Facebook so I can be going through the motions of work only to realize I was like, no, I should step away, go to the park, read go for a jog, whatever it is, come back, refresh, and actually work. I think that deception of pretending you're working is the worst. And I remember I I took that forward when I had a team in New York. I remember one of the SDRs was on Facebook while they were like cold calling. I was like, listen, man, you can go on Facebook. Like, take a break. Take take a cigarette break. Go on Facebook, right? Although (laughs) the cigarettes might be healthier than going on Facebook. I was like, go on Facebook, but like, no, you're going on Facebook. Take a break and do some social media stuff as your break. Don't like pretend you're working well on Facebook and like, yeah, I see you sitting here. So you're in your chair, you're at work, but I know you're not very productive because you're on social media while you're mixing in a few calls, like one or the other. And I think what I've derived from this whole thing is like discipline. We were talking about it before we started recording. Like, let's time block stuff, get shit done, have deadlines or not. Don't right. work. Go do something else, but don't like sort of be productive. Right. Because right. when you have a time block, you can get a lot done with a deadline. But like, if you have all day to do a task, you take all day. If you have an hour to do the task, you have an hour. Like, that's dangerous for humans to multitask a day full of things that don't really, you could have gotten done in two hours and then gone and laid in the sun or something. Yeah. It's, I always go back to that quote of, anything worth doing is worth doing well. And it's hard to do something well if you're trying to half-ass it or you're straddling two things at the same time. So I, yeah, I'm totally with you. Like when you're there, just do the thing. And But it's like, don't feel guilty about wanting to take a social media break or going to the gym or whatever, or taking a vacation, right? And that's the last thing on this too was like, I was thinking about this today. I was like, man, I need to plan a golf day. And I was like, oh, shit, I got like a bunch of like climbing things coming up. It's like, also at the same time, what am I doing this for? Why am I taking these risks? Why am I building my life sound this way? if I'm not going to take advantage of it, right? Like, I don't want to be the person necessarily that just like grinds and grinds just so I can have like the magical thing at the end, right? That's what people- You mean like work. when you die at retirement? Right, exactly. I want, to enjoy, I want to enjoy the work and I want to be able to enjoy time off and other things along the way and not feel guilty about it. There'll always be more work to be done. So if you're not protective of that time as well, like it gets, yeah. it gets tricky. Yeah, I think all of this is far easier said than done when you have, you know, bills to pay and goals to achieve. But it's I think it's about being deliberate. If you're yeah. going to take the take time off, take the time off. You're going to work. Don't blend both into a poorly lived life. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you and if like they do blend here and there, that's cool, too. Just like be honest with yourself about it. Right. OK. The other thing, one of the other things we we're talking about was ICs at early stage startups turning into the head of sales and how they should think about compensation. But you were having a conversation with someone about this recently. So break that down for us. Yeah. So in much of my advising, it's often helping young leaders move into roles, right? The business isn't growing fast enough that they're scaling super fast and you need someone to really scale it up. But we need some leadership and we have someone who's ready, right? And so coaching them through that. And so the conversation today was like, what's fair compensation? VP sales can get 200 plus 200. 
and one to 3% equity, roughly. So when do I get that? And the truth is very rarely does the IC get that, get their market rate. Right. And so what we were talking about is I think there's time to get paid and there's time to advance your career. And that first IC role is about career advancement and career acceleration. And it's going to be tough and probably disappointing if you're expected to be leveled up to pure market rate, because market rate means hiring someone that's already done that and you have not. And so I think it's really tough to be feeling like, yeah, but this other person, if we hired them, would get all this equity. And I've been here and my loyalty is like, I think a lot of young folks going into leadership that have been at a company as an IC for a while, see their loyalty as like their leverage. And, that, and it's not really leverage. It's like, yeah, you should be compensated for that, but like you've already done that job. Doing that job got you to this job. Right. So they're not gonna compensate you for your loyalty. And I'm not saying this is how it should be. I'm just saying it's is usually how it is. So the conversation I had with this young man was about wrapping his head around, hey, listen, you can fight for a little bit more equity, right? You can fight for a little bit more compensation, but that's gonna be like probably unfulfilling. And you'll get leveled up a bit, but you're not going to be purely comped like you would as a VP of sales coming in from the outside at a 2% or 3% equity who's already done this before because you haven't, right, and getting paid a huge amount of money. And so it's an interesting one. So like striking that balance is tough. The other one we were sent trying to do is working through kind of some goal-based compensation, which right. is like, hey, if you do hit these goals, which is what we'd expect a VP of sales to hit, you can start to get leveled up in a way that's more in line with market rates. But I was pretty clear. It's like, you have a great opportunity if you don't, and he hasn't had the compensation conversation with the founder yet, so who knows how it goes. But also the founder's influenced by the cap table and the investors, and they have their expectations, and they want to make sure that there's enough employee stock option pool for them when they really go big with a CRO or a VP of sales right. later, but, or other C-level or VP titles. But the fact that is like, this is his opportunity to accelerate his career and grow and get to the level where he can truly make market rate versus complaining that he's not going to get market rate for a VP of sales when he hasn't yet done that job. Yeah. And so I think that's an interesting one of like achieve it first. That gives you the career earning potential. It might not be at your current employer. And it probably gets yeah. done for all different roles, it's right? Of like career versus comp. Yeah, that's probably like a good spectrum to think about things, right? Is like, is how much is this job really accelerating your skill set, which most startups, right, skew high on that. They don't always skew high on the market rate comp. To your point, they're either bringing someone else that's done that before, or you go to a bigger company that has bigger budget and can pay you for that. And I was having a similar conversation with someone that was, had an offer to be the first AE at Darling type C, I think, I can't remember C or Series A, but they had this really good opportunity in front of them and they had, they were trying to think through the compensation and they were asking me a bunch of questions on how they should think through it. And it was similar to you. I think it was a level setting conversation of, hey, you're not doing this first role with them or this job itself is not the big payday, right? That if it, if the equity turns into something great, amazing, but that's a crapshoot. Like, you're going here because you're going to be able to leverage this experience to the next role, whether that's moving up here or that's the next company in two or three years. And that will be way more valuable for you than an extra 10 or 20 grand on your base out. Similar conversation I had with a young lady. Sounds like a similar situation of like, why are you joining this? And one company had massive career potential, great manager, all this stuff. The other one was going to offer some equity. And she's like, fundamentally, I have a difficulty joining a company that's not going to prevent give me equity. And I was like, I get it, right? You want the principle of ownership. I was like, but the principle of ownership at the less career accelerant, right? As Megan says, like the vehicle 
that drives your Meg Bowen, which is like get on the right vehicle to accelerate your career. They were going to give you equity there, but it was not going to be really worth anything. It's a token gesture. And so it was really like, so you ended up taking the job with the career accelerant because it was the right vehicle to get on and the equity was meaningless anyway. And if she accelerates her career, that equity will be worth She'll be able to get equity at the next role that's actually meaningful. I think there's like maybe the other variable here. When I've mentored some young folks, it's like learning. So that's what we're talking about right here is the career accelerant. Compensation, right? Or fun. Know which one you're doing. Right. You get paid a lot not having fun, not learning. That's fine. You want the money that's totally warranted at different times of your career. Makes sense. You could be learning a lot and not having a very good time, but you're accelerating your career and not making a lot of money. Or you could just be having fun. You'd be learning nothing. You're not paying nothing. But if you're having a great time, like <laughs> it's like this whole theme today is like, being deliberate. Right. You're not having fun. You're not making a lot of money. You're not learning. Get out. But like, right. if you're in it. Like, I, there was some, there was a young lady I was talking to who was making a lot of money, but she was learning a lot, having a great time. I was like, that's great. She was complaining about her comp, but I was like, not many people get to learn a lot and have fun at their job. Like, right. It's okay. Just know what you're doing and know what you're looking for. I think the biggest takeaway from this is be intellectually honest with yourself about the job that you have and what it's giving you in return and where you want to go in your career. And it's okay that you have different seasons of your career in which you're optimizing for different things. Just be honest about where you're at now and try to architect in a way that you're going to be happy about it. I love the seasons of a career. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, shifting gears. I have a question well, for you. The Hold on real quick. Cap, yeah. Captain on this. And I think the, the I know the topic you're going to go to. Maybe let's punt that to next week just so we can... Okay. We can wrap here, but the this is actually more a quick story for founders that are hiring early stage salespeople. So this same candidate had, that had the offer, they <clears throat> the founder wanted to put in a hurdle rate on his commission at ninety percent of quota, and so they was basically it was going to be like you get half your commission rate oh, until question. you. Hit. Sorry, start interrupt. Yeah, has this founder d- been in sales before or led sales teams? What he. Marketing, but not sales. Okay. So um, non-sales founder building a comp plan for a sales rep. Go on. Yes. And this was probably some bad advice he got from one of the investors or someone. And they said to make sure there's a hurdle in there. So it was like, okay, he's going to get 5% commission on everything until 90%. That bumps up to 10% once he gets above 90%. And my feedback to the candidate was, you should try to negotiate pretty hard on that. Because at an early stage, right, you're the first salesperson. They have no historical data besides the last few months. Of generating demand, right? Yeah. <laughs> that they're going to be able to, that you or anyone in the world will be able to hit the number that they set, right? At best, and who set the numbers? Yeah. Some humans without a lot of data that haven't exactly. done this before. We established right. that. So, quota setting, the art and science of that, and then attack, and then attaching a comp kind of hurdle to a number that was made up becomes like assumptions times assumptions become right. like catastrophic. Like, that's just two right there. Right. And so that, so I told him, I said, you should go back to that. I, generally speaking, for early stage comp plans, I like them to be as simple as possible because they're going to change, right? You have no idea what the next three to six months is going to hold. And so if anything, as a founder, the expectation I want to set is that your comp plan will likely change one or two times this year because we don't know how things are going to evolve. But I need you to be able to trust me that I'm always going to be thinking about what's the balance between your best interest and the company's best interest. So we talk about this a little, a lot about founders who have not done sales or led sales teams or built sales teams, right? Usually product or technical, in this case, marketing, having guidance from folks that have done it before, right? And so it's going to change. There's a huge amount of trust. The way to, does that sales rep really going to trust a founder who's already starting with things like that? How do you, if it's going to change, how do I know you're not going to screw me at the next turn because you have nobody giving you good guidance. And so this is like these one of these weird things. It's like, 
why have a sales advisor? Why have a guidance in this? It's like, so you can build this trust and set up something that's tough, but fair. And this one is not fair. It's like, also, I see all the time, some, somewhere somebody read having uncapped is like good. It's like, yeah, but by saying it's uncapped implies you might cap it in the future or you thought about it or like you think that's like an added bonus, right? So it's like this weird, like get that out of the language, like that it's uncapped. Like it just it erodes trust. It's like if you say it, it makes me think you don't know what you're doing. The, I have slightly <laughs> different feelings on the uncapped people. Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I like <laughs> I just like being deliberate. So I'm I would rather be explicit that it's uncapped, right? Versus the notion that it could be anything else. But okay. in principle, everything I you're saying I agree with. But anyway, so I told him I said you should negotiate this with or at least talk to him about it. For sure. And I was like, but if he's saying 90% like to the quota as his hurdle, then he's probably pretty tied to the concept. So even though I believe it should be nothing, try to get it down to like 50 or 60%, something that seems like a bit more reasonable. And he went back to the- You're already in a difficult place because that implies that the sales rep is negotiating like things down, which makes the founder feel like they're less confident in their ability to get to the goal. So it's already a slippery slope right. there. And so I, we talked about first address that because it's not, you don't want him to like, to implant doubt into your ability right away. It's more so- Show some wisdom in understanding the greater- situation here okay now, all right i like that give him the good advice of hey we both know that the quota is probably more of a ballpark figure and we're still trying to figure a bunch of things out plus you're probably going to want me obviously you want me closing as much as many deals as possible but i'm going to be incentivized to do other things to help build the infrastructure and other things around the team right so duty may call for me to do other things besides just like go after the next deal and I want this to be like, I'm in it for everything. Great advice. I wonder how he was able to communicate it. So yeah, because him and I were just texting. We had a oh, call, okay. but we had <laughs> some long text wall. He, so he ends up talking to the founder and he shoots me a text back almost immediately afterwards. He goes, yeah, he agreed to just wipe out the hurdle rate totally. So he totally understood. And I increased my equity a little bit and we're good to go starting at the end of May. Nice. So it worked out really well. I don't think as, I don't think most founders would be that reasonable, but I think it it also it shows. I agree. If you're already imp- imposing it, then you're probably like you came from somewhere where you think it's a good idea. Yeah. Or you just. But what's great is like the founder recognized that they didn't need to hold that opinion that strongly, and I think that bodes really well for hopefully their success moving forward. I like it. Yeah. There's some interesting red flags for sales hires and talking about the goals and the comp and the built trust building. And then it's like, yeah, I had a young guy I was interviewing. He's like, yeah, I really like the founder, but it's clear he didn't know what he's doing. Now that you're on board as an advisor, I'm much more serious about this role because it sounds like you're putting this together. And that was great for my ego. It's like, <laughs> it's like no, it's like, that's why I exist to be like, yeah, let me shore this up in a way that will be tough, but fair right. versus just like, in reinventing the wheel on comp, setting things up that is just wild, that's in line with some wild investor growth goals that the founder, because they've never done this before, thinks is reasonable and then sets up the comp for the sales rep to hit these goals without any of the resources to get. It's just like, ah, danger. And if you're a sales rep listening to this and you think your founder needs some sales advice, contact Seth. All right. I think that's the pod for today. Let's call it. See ya. See ya.